You're about to hear a sermon that was preached for the people of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. Sacred City Moline is a gospel-centered missional church that aims to make disciples plant churches and renew the cities. If you want to hear more about Sacred City Church or become part of what we're doing here, we encourage you to visit us at scmoline.com. Now, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Open your Bibles to Galatians 6, which is found on page 567 in your pew Bibles. Now hear the word of the Lord from Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This is the word of the Lord. Over the last several weeks, we're coming up on months now, we have been going through a sermon series called Cultivate. And the whole premise of this sermon series, as I've been saying from week to week, is to reinvigorate our discipleship culture here at Sacred City Church. And we've been going through, like, laying the building blocks. We've got the Great Commission where Jesus, after he resurrects from the dead, he appoints the church to go and make disciples of all the nations. And he tells us this is the pattern of discipleship, that, that you grow by dying to yourself and coming to life in the Spirit. And we've seen how God has given us uh, means of grace, like the Spirit disciplines for our hearts to be strengthened, our faith to grow and to increase. We've seen how God has appointed community as the primary context where discipleship takes place, where we take responsibility not only for our own discipleship, but the discipleship of others. And we're making our way through the end here. Now, as we talk about, like, just, just saying that this sermon series exists to, to reinvigorate our discipleship culture, at least to some extent, acknowledges that there has been some kind of drop-off when it comes to our discipleship culture. Now, I'm not saying that, that we've totally apostatized. I'm not saying that we've totally run the tr- truck off the cliff. But there are naturally things that happen that we, we get our eyes shifted off of what is most important. We, we have what's called, uh, the, this is related to, if you're a sciencey person, the third law of thermodynamics, or, or in other words, the law of entropy where you have something set, and as soon as, so for example, you've got a a boiling pot of water, okay? It's on the stove. You've got that pot of water. As soon as you take that pot of water off the stove, naturally, the temperature of that pot of water will decrease. So the same thing works itself out in the church. If, If the church is this pot of water that's on the flames of the gospel, this gospel intentionality with the focus of making disciples, following through on the Great Commission, as soon as we take our eyes off that, we start to lose the temperature. Now, I think that this is a natural thing that happens. In fact, any organization will go through this thing, whether it's called mission drift or entropy or or referencing this natural decay that happens unless there is constant intentionality. You're constantly placing yourself back up on the flames. And so that's really what this series was meant to do. To, to take us from our warmness and get us back to piping hot, eager, and, and equipped to make disciples here in this church. 
And I have sensed, as I've heard from many people through the weeks, that, that there has been that rekindling of excitement for making disciples. There has been this sense of we've been put back on the heat source and things are warming up again. I've heard many of you say just how fired up you are, even from last week's sermon, of like helping you understand that everyday rhythms of discipleship come out of your natural life. You're making disciples in the everyday stuff. And I've been so encouraged to hear that from many of you. Now to fan that flame to an even greater degree and to avoid what I call the conference effect. The the conference effect, if you go to a conference and you get all jacked up and you're ready to go and everything's exciting and you just can't wait to, to, to take everything that you learned and then it's only just a matter of weeks before that whole buzz sort of tanks. Okay, to avoid that, which I think is kind of like a, a, a spiritual sugar high, uh, to give us some real sustenance, to keep us going through even the hard times, what I want to do this morning is identify what most frequently stifles a discipleship culture. The, the thing that acts as a sharp object in a room full of balloons that just pop, 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 takes things out, and very quickly all the air gets released and you're kind of deflated. I think it may be the top threat to establishing, refining, to reinvigorating a disciple culture. If it's not the top one, it's definitely in the top five. But I think the top threat to a lively discipleship culture is discouragement. It's discouragement. We are oftentimes bombarded by discouragement. There's no shortage of it. Now, I think this is why many preachers who have come before us, guys like Martin Lloyd-Jones and Charles Spurgeon, spent so much of their ministry talking about fighting through spiritual depression, this sort of chronic deflatedness. Because discouragement is not in short supply. Christians often run up against it. And I think this is one of the reasons why, if you read through your Bible, if you read through the New Testament, one of the most common commands that we receive is to encourage one another. That's because discouragement is so prevalent. There's no shortage. Now, it's good for us to acknowledge that, but then to go a step or two further and ask, well, what, what causes this discouragement? What causes us when we look out at what's going on to have sort of a pessimistic view of things? I think this really boils down to, talking about discipleship, boils down to two things. One is the realization that making disciples is really hard work. Making disciples, making people who imitate Christ our Savior and Lord is not getting into the nitty-gritty everyday stuff. These, you're dealing with people who have established years and years of bad habits, these, these fleshly patterns that lead us away from God, that cause us uh, division and, and to feel this, this animosity from God, that, that instead we're trying to relearn what it means to truly be, to walk according to the Spirit. 
to lead people down the path of discipleship, to take responsibility for our own discipleship, acknowledging these things, it requires an investment, a significant investment of time, of energy, of resources. And I think one of the, the ways that, that's maybe helpful to think about this is, is in terms of, of spiritual gardening. The discipleship is like spiritual gardening where you're tilling the soil of the heart. Now, some people's hearts are harder than others. Right? Jesus talks about the four soils, the people who, who share the word of God. Now, the, so there, there's different kinds of soils of the heart that you're tending to. But then you're planting those gospel seeds. You're filling it, backfilling it with the dirt. You're watering. You're pouring, you're pouring effort and energy into caring for this little seedling. And, and as you go, you're pulling up the weeds that are going to threaten its life. As I was thinking about this illustration, I was thinking of my, my grandpa, Ozzy, who for years and years, he had a giant tomato patch. He had a big garden. And he loved that garden. He, he took good care of it. And he had a great produce every year. And one year, I thought to myself, you know what? I was in 4-H because that's what you do when you're a kid growing up in the country. Um, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I've seen all the big, big garden produce that's been at the county fairs. I was like, I think I can do that. And so I thought one year, I'm, I'm going to do that. And I got started, I probably made it like two weeks into the thing and I gave up. Because it was so much work tilling up the ground, taking care of it, making sure it got watered, pulling up all the weeds, and weeds were the worst. And so it's real hard work. And so much like real gardening, this spiritual gardening of discipleship often gets discouraging because we're confronted by the realness of the difficulty of the work. And when we are not prepared to see how hard it is, to really do this, to follow through, to work towards this end, we can often get discouraged and want to give up. So that's one of the things that causes discouragement. The second thing is that not only is the work of making disciples hard work, but it's slow work. Making disciples takes time. Cultivating gospel fruit takes time. Years ago, I heard an interview with Pastor John Piper who, who's, who was asked the question, like, what, what, does he, what does he tend to get discouraged by? And his response was something to the effect of this. He says, what often discourages me is the painfully slow process of my sanctification. What's he saying there? Sanctification is a big word, okay? What we mean by that is, is becoming more like Jesus, the process of being transformed from one degree of glory to the other, one degree of Christ-likeness to the other. And what he's saying is that there's this painfully long process of becoming more like Christ in my own life, for me individually, but also when you're ministering, you're ministering to other people, is realizing that's also happening in other people's lives as well. See, in order to see gospel fruit, for people to see gospel fruit be produced in their life, it takes time. Now, the discouraging thing about this is that a weed can pop up overnight just like that. But it takes time for gospel fruit to ripen. Now, as I think of the way that Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven and talked about discipleship and life in his kingdom, 
It makes me think that all of those agricultural metaphors that Jesus, of this hands dirty, in the dirt, hard work, patient payout. And if we're not aware that making disciples is hard, slow work, we will get discouraged fast, right? You've probably experienced this in, in mission, if not in your own life, in missional community life. Like you want something to click for this person so badly, but it seems to be taking such long time. Long, hard conversations. It's hard, it's slow work. And the reason why we tend to get discouraged is because we don't see a quick return on our effort. So the idea that, yes, I'm gonna give myself to the hard work, but it's just gonna take a long time. It's gonna be a lot of hard work. And in those seasons where it, we don't see the growth that we want to see, it feels like we're in a drought. There, there's a kind of dryness that's going on. Either a personal doubt or drought, excuse me, a personal drought where we feel like we're the slow-growing plant. Like, man, when, when am I going to break out of this pattern? When am I finally going to get it? When am I going to stop being tempted by this thing? I just keep coming back to the same exact spot every, it's like a, a three-week cycle. We feel like we're the slow-growing plant. Or as we're making disciples, as we're taking responsibility for the discipleship of other people, we might see this from the perspective of the gardener. Right, the one, the one who's been caring for the land and there's not much poking through the ground. We're not seeing the growth that we hope to see in other people. Now, there are times, there are times where we'll see explosive growth. There, are, there, there will be times like that. Uh, there, there will be times where you see personal and corporate revival. I'm not talking just specifically here in this congregation. I, I hope that that will be true. But, but through church history, it's, it's a proven thing. There are seasons where God just takes, in a moment, just this flame just erupts. The gospel burns white hot. People are affected. People turning. People uh, growing into Christ-likeness. And we should pray. <laughs> we should pray for seasons like that. We should pray that the Lord would bring revival into our own lives, into the life of this church, into our city, and beyond. But most often, gospel growth is slow. Gospel growth is slow. But here's the thing. In order, in order to get to those seasons where there's a lot of growth happening, happening rapidly, we need to become drought proof in order to get those seasons where man boom everything's exploding the gospel's going out people's lives are being changed at an incredibly fast rate we have to become a church that can endure the droughts that become drought proof not not that we stave off dry seasons because there will be slow seasons it's unavoidable not that we stave off the dry seasons but we are able to weather them together and so this morning, there are three things that I want to point to that help us as a church become drought-proof as we are laboring in the Lord, okay? So number one, first thing, growth comes from God. 
The first thing that we need to remember in order to become drought proof is that growth comes from God. Now we see this explicitly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The, the, the Apostle Paul, and we'll be referencing a lot of the Apostle Paul throughout this because this is really a theme that pops up in a bunch of different epistles. And so rather than just doing it all in one spot, we're kind of doing a sweep of, of the counsel of the Apostle Paul. One of the places where he talks about this explicitly is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the apostle, and then later he had to go move along, and then after him came another. And so what he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wage according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You see it there explicitly. God brought the growth. Growth was from the Lord. Now, too often in discipleship, as we're, as we're trying to help people grow, we write God out of the equation. We, we think that growth is up to us, that it's our responsibility to make others grow, to make ourselves grow. Now, if I, it comes up like this, and we say, if I can just get this point across, if I could just get them to do this or do that, right? We're, we're, the onus there is on us. We're the ones that are causing something. Now, when we do that, we are stepping into God's jurisdiction. Parents, we need to know this in parenting. You can love your child, you can shepherd your child, you can discipline your child, you can do all the things right, but it is God who brings the growth. You cannot twist and contort them into the image of Christ. It's a product of the Spirit of God. And when we step into that, we're stepping into God's jurisdiction. Now I say that to say God brings the growth, but it doesn't mean that we sit on our hands. We'll get to that in a minute. But God is the one who gets to the, to, to the growth because growth is a product of the heart. From the heart, life flows out of. And the heart is God's jurisdiction. Every Bible-believing Christian knows that only God can change a person's heart. And we see in salvation... Ezekiel 36 says, not only does God give people a new heart, he, he removes the heart of stone and replaces it with the heart of flesh, but God is also changing our hearts through sanctification. And if, you, if, you just, if you're in Galatians 6, I'd keep your finger in Galatians 6, but if you flip back a page to, to Galatians chapter 3, there's this thing going on uh, in the, the, the church in Galatia that um, the people, they believe the gospel and, they, and, and basically they think that... that God is some sort of a stepping stool that they just need God's help to get saved and then it's up to them to be sanctified. It's up to them to finish the process of salvation. But he says to them in, in verse three of chapter three, are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's saying, listen, you know that salvation comes from the Lord. And yet here you are, you've received salvation, and somehow you've thought that it's up to you now to deliver on the rest. Like God did 50% of the work, and now 50% is up to you to accomplish. But Paul says, no, 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 no. 
Sanctification, like salvation, comes from the Lord because only the Lord can change a person's heart. Only the Spirit moves in that way. Paul is saying you don't just need God to give you a little kickstart. You need God to see you through in your entire life. The whole thing from front to back. And when we operate like like we can pull the weight ourselves, like, like we can get ourselves there, as if this whole process of sanctification, of growing as a disciple is up to us, we are mocking God. See, this is, jumped back to Galatians 6. Don't be deceived. Now, in Galatians 6 here, there, there's a specific application to what, what Paul's getting at, but there's a general principle here, and that's what I'm trying to, to extrapolate on. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Now, to, to, to make people follow Jesus better, then we are downplaying God's role. We are mocking God and his strength and his might. And Philippians 2 Verses 12 and 13 reminds us. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that sounds like it's up to us, okay? Like it's our job. God saved us, and now we got to figure it out. But check this out. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So here's the thing. So, so God saves you. God gives you a new heart. But then God also supplies you with his will, that your will now comes folded into God's will. Your desires now line up with God's desires. And God desires for us all to grow and mature and become more Christ-like. So God gives us that desire, but then he's also the one who is at work within us. We have to see that God is at work both in salvation and in sanctification. And if we are going to faithfully make disciples, if we're going to do it in a way that just breathes life into people, we need to know our role. We need to know our station. God is the one who accomplishes his will. Now, God calls us into it. God, God invites us to participate with him uh, according to his will, according to his purpose, right? By, by eating meals with people, by sharing the gospel, by encouraging one another, by challenging each other. Like God, God wants to use us. He, he invites us to participate in the spirit of God is working in, in us. He's working in us so that we would work for the benefit of other people, but it is ultimately God who is underneath all of that work. And God specifically calls us into that work. Every Christian is called into this to proclaim, to instruct, to walk with people through life's seasons, whether it be our kids, our missional community, people that we're on mission to, we are to participate with God in the work that he's doing. At the same time, we know that it is God who changes hearts. It's God who changes hearts, which then changes people's lives. And if we miss that, if we miss that it's God who's working underneath all of these things, we'll either get programmatic or we'll get frustrated. And what I mean by that is frustrated in the sense of, here I am working so hard and it's not paying out. And so I'm just like, dang it. Like that kind of frustration. It's all for nothing. 
Or if we get programmatic or, or sort of methodological about it, we'll say, well, my approach isn't working. And we'll just go from this to that to that, trying to find the perfect fit, the perfect thing that will, we'll, and what we do in that, if it's about the method, we write God out of the equation. There are times where it's going to feel like I'm, I'm working really hard and I'm not seeing any fruit yet. But it's, it's God who brings the growth. So in those seasons, here's what we need to do. As we obey the Lord and make disciples, we need to pray to God like crazy. If it's God who changes hearts, we make our appeal to God who can change hearts. That's what Jesus invites us into in, in Matthew's gospel. He says, pray to the Lord of har- the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Now, he's praying in the sense like, not only do we want to see pr- fruit produced, but we actually want to see more workers to tend to the fruit that's being produced. And so if God's the one who brings the growth, we pray to the Lord of the harvest. Now the second thing that we need to remember as we are laboring in the Lord and making disciples, the second thing that will help us become drought-proof is remembering that growth is on God's time. This gets back to the tempo in which God's works, which oftentimes we get discouraged in because, because it doesn't seem like it's going fast enough, but here's what we need to realize is that God has time. God has time, he's eternal, he commands time, he's not worried about time. God has time. And one of the the challenges that we receive in Hebrews chapter six, it's this call to not confuse God's patience with God's slowness. Don't, Don't, they're not synonymous. It's not that God's slow, it's God is patient. Now if you, if you find yourself often irritated by how, how long it takes, here's actually one of the, it's like a litmus test. Like, how, how compassionate towards people do you feel? Like just in the slowness of their own growth or even your own growth. See, the more, the more frustrated, the more irritated we get, the more our compassion starts to wane. Now, one way, you're not gonna like this, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. One way that God wants to grow you, every Christian in the room, one way that God wants to grow us as we disciple others is teaching us patience. And God doesn't just download patience, like, dear God, please give me patience, and then like tomorrow he just injects like 10 cc's of patience and you're cool. It's like, no, the way you get patience is by learning patience, by by being put in situations where it's gonna grind you a bit. The reason why God wants us to learn patience is because he wants to show us, he wants to reveal to us to an even greater degree the amount of patience God has towards us. It's not slowness, it's patience. And and here's the thing, it's okay to want fast growth for ourselves, 
for other people. It's okay to want that. And sometimes God injects that and it happens, great. I think a lot of times there's a lot less pain involved if growth comes fast, right? If, if you got somebody who's struggling with substance abuse and you're just, man, I, pr- I pray that God would quickly change their lives. Yeah, that's gonna be better off for them in the long run because they're going through less heartache as they, you know, if it's fast. And so I think it's okay for us to want quick growth, fast growth. But we also at the same time need to remember that God's timing is perfect. God God is writing a perfect story. And sometimes we get so stuck on one page of the chapter within the whole book that we miss out on all of the crazy stuff that God is doing. And we have to realize that sometimes, most times, the quick path is not the most formative path. And I think a great example of this is Tolkien's series, The Lord of the Rings. Three volume set. If Frodo were to just get the ring and go to Mount Doom and just handle it, like we could do, we could knock that out in like three chapters, right? <laughs> but Tolkien was onto something. He, the, the saga of the whole thing was what formed him, what shaped him, that, that really brought out all of these great character values in him. Sometimes it's the long, painful journey that has the greatest effect. And this is why oftentimes we're told, hey, count it joy when you meet trials. Count Only somebody who has, has a bigger picture in mind can actually do that. Only somebody who knows creation, fall, redemption, restoration, the whole story can look at some, such hardship and say, I count it joy. It's because God's timing is perfect. Now, not only is God's timing a a bit different than ours, a lot of times God's order of operation is different than ours as well. So this is what I mean by that. You're discipling somebody and there's there's like a list of like three or four things that you think they really need to grow in. It's like getting to church on Sundays, they need to stop watching pornography, they need whatever the thing is. There's a whole list of things like here's your next steps in discipleship. And you might have an idea of what's number one on that list. And that's where we're going to invest. We're going to read a book that talks about this. And so you have this idea in your mind that this is the first thing that needs to be addressed. But God's saying, no, no, no. Actually, this thing, the thing that you got slotted at number four, that's what I want to deal with first. So God's order of operation might be different from ours. So, so this means that as we're like, and I think this is a good thing too. So like if you see places where people need growth, it's, it's not a waste of time to lean into any one of those things. But that doesn't mean that's the thing that God's going to produce fruit in first. But I think discouragement comes when we're, when we're laboring in this specific area, the thing that's slotted in the number one spot on our, on our list and that's the only place where we're looking for gospel growth. And really, that's going to take a year. But God, there's things breaking through the ground over here. Their marriage is getting better. They're learning how to lead their family better. Like, and then those, those are still evidences of grace. Those are, so that just tells us that we might be looking for growth in the wrong spot. Just because we don't see growth doesn't mean that growth isn't coming. It might be under the surface as the the roots are being sunk down, 
or it might be in a different spot in this person's life. Just because you don't see the fruit doesn't mean it's not there. And that's because God promises a harvest. He tells us in Galatians 6 verse 7, he says, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. There's this principle of sowing and reaping. But that harvest might not always come where you expect it. Which is why, which is why we need to remember the Holy Spirit's involvement in discipleship. And instead of trying to manufacture something in our own strength, we need to look to the places where God is bringing, the Spirit is already at work and moving and step into those places and acknowledge that growth and encourage that growth and keep working toward that. So we've talked about, well, what have we talked about? Growth comes from God. God's timing is perfect. And this third thing to remember is that perseverance is key. Perseverance is key. If you want to make it through the drought to get to the bountiful harvest, perseverance is key. Now, let me take you to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. This is really, this is, this is to me, this is like a life verse. This is a verse that has sustained me through hard seasons of ministry says this, let us not grow weary of doing good. Now, this one of the things that we need to realize is making disciples is hard work, but it is the ultimate good of work. Making disciples, I think, is the crown jewel of the good works with which God called us and delivered us from the domain of darkness and called us into to do these things. Making disciples is the top list. And so he says, let us not grow weary of doing good, of making disciples. He will reap if, if we do not give up. Making disciples is the good work, the big umbrella in which good work sits underneath. And while it's good, we've said this, it's physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausting. And so what you might be hearing, and maybe you're in a fatigue spot yourself this morning. You you step into this room feeling like, yeah, I'm dry. Like I've been in a drought for seven years. I'm ready for some water in my veins. I'm ready for some life to come. Maybe you're thinking about that, your missional community. It's been a long time since we had a, a burst of growth in our missional community. It's been a long time since we've been seeing people take these big discipleship milestone steps. And so this might sound like the Apostle Paul is saying to you, suck it up, baby. This is really like disingenuous, go do more, go do better, try harder. But that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul, weariness is a chronic disposition. Now, if you're living your life, you're going to get tired. Like if you're, if you're living life to the fullest, if you're, you're loving your family well, you're working hard at work, not as to, unto man, but unto the Lord, you're being a good neighbor, you're living on mission, 
You're taking care of your body. You're watching what you put into your body. Like you're, if you're living right by the Lord, there is going to be a natural fatigue that comes with this. You're going to be tired. But there's a difference between the rhythms of tiredness and refreshing than chronic weariness. Chronic weariness takes people out of the mix. Now, let, let me say this as well. Because as we, like, we have these bodies, and as time elapses, our body breaks down. Our limits, what we could do in our 30s, is no longer within grasp in our 70s, okay? So we have to realize our finiteness. And it might feel like as we get to, to an older age that, that weariness is chronic, and I think that there's a physical capacity, but, but I don't think that has to be true spiritually. When we have chronic weariness, it takes people out of the game. It, it, it puts people's hands in their pockets and feels like they've got nothing to contribute. It makes them feel like they are, are useless, that they can't bring anything to the table. And I think it's this chronic weariness that the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, you cannot give in to that. Don't grow weary. Don't stay weary. And to close, I think there are four things that every Christian, regardless of where you're at in life, four things that we can do to fight off weariness. Number one. Number one is that we rely on the strength of God more than you rely on your flesh. As your body ages, as life changes, you, your physical strength is diminishing. But... The Spirit supplies energy, and maybe not physical energy, but, but this energy that, that you can still be praying for. You can still be investing in people that you are in community with. And so important for us to remember to rely on the strength of God more than your flesh. I think this is one of the reasons, in fact, maybe the, the primary reason that allowed the Apostle Paul to be so successful in his ministry work. I mean, the, the Apostle Paul was a workhorse, Clydesdale, helping people to grow in the gospel. And he says, I press on, not in my own strength. In Colossians, I think Colossians 2, he talks about this. I press on, not in my own strength, but the strength in which he supplies. And Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. He says, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength of God that he supplies. Now, God calls us into hard work. God supplies the strength for the hard work so that he would be the one who gets all the glory. So it's not at the end you come to your life and you're patting yourself on the shoulder. Like God, 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 the faithful God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But even that is, is a testimony of God's glory, of what he's done to take a, a silly guy like me or you and use us for his purposes. And this is what it goes on to say. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What God calls us to do, he supplies the strength for. 
And one of the ways that as we get through this, this pattern of fatigue and tiredness and we find our recharge is by making Sunday gatherings a priority. That, that we lean into the Sabbath rest. Not just getting away from your work schedule, not just getting a break from the typical difficult week that you've probably endured, but to come and to feast on the word of God, to be encouraged by the saints. And one of the ways that we do that together is when we sing together, we are reminding each other of the power of God. There's something that happens in the service. It has nothing to do with me being up on stage. God blesses and ordains these kinds of times to strengthen people for the work that he's called us to. Number two, how we fight off weariness. Know that God wastes nothing. God wastes nothing. And so there's gonna be seasons where where you've invested in somebody. You've poured all kinds of time, all kinds of energy into somebody in your fight club, mission community, somebody at work that you're on mission to, and you're just, it's not going anywhere. We have to know that God doesn't waste anything. We might not see the harvest. We might not, like, there, there's been a lot of people that I've ministered to through the years that I've got to spend maybe nine months with, a year with, and something happened in that time, and I was hoping to see more, but then as they moved on, if they move across the country, they go somewhere else, or graduate from college, or whatever it might be, God takes that thing, and then he can multiply that over the years. And so I don't get to see the growth firsthand, much like Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, says, hey, I, I planted, Apollos watered, so Paul didn't get to see the growth right away. And so we need to realize that God, just because we're not there, doesn't mean the growth doesn't come. God may call us to contribute to the work of discipleship in a way where we don't get to see the fruit in this lifetime. But as we work, we know God doesn't waste anything. Number three, if you want to fight off weariness, you need to learn to celebrate evidences of grace. This is one of the rhythms that we have every, every time we gather together as mission communities. We are acknowledging evidences of grace, places in our life where God has blessed us, where he has delivered in ways that we couldn't imagine. That God's, I mean, if you think about this, what we deserve is to be six feet under, all right? So anything above the ground is grace to us. And so we need to be able to have these gospel eyes to see the places where God is at work and, and not only giving thanks to God for those things, but to encourage one another by saying, hey, brother, what's doing in you? you need, that can have a profound effect on somebody. Say, hey, I, I know it's been a hard season, but I see what the Lord's doing in you, and I'm really encouraged by that. Keep going. Celebrating evidences of grace helps helps us from getting weary because it acknowledges that like, we, might, we might not have like a thousand apples on the tree, but there's one, there's two, okay? And so we give thanks to God. And number four, knowing that our perseverance, it says like, um, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Knowing that perseverance is rooted in promise. See, in verse nine, Paul is certain. He says, in due season, we will reap. 
if we don't give up. He's certain. Why is he certain? What gives him such confidence? Well, he writes to the church in Philippi. I can find my notes here. Philippians 1, verse 6. What gives him the confidence that you will reap what was sown? I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The thing that brings us through, the thing that allows us to persevere is that God finishes what he starts. God will accomplish his purpose. And so we do not, if we're in the seasons where it's dry and we're not seeing the fruit we want to see, we can hang our hat on that promise. God will bring to completion what he started in our lives and in the lives of others. And when we keep these things in mind, the church becomes drought proof. We become a church that can endure the dry seasons to get to the bountiful harvests. But there's this, this if phrase in here. It says, there, there will be a harvest if you do not give up. And so brothers and sisters, we cannot give up. We must keep plodding together. We, we must keep doing hard things for Jesus together in his strength, knowing that it's God's timing. And in doing this, we reflect Christ, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus did the hard thing for us. He laid his life down. He died on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven, that we could find new life in his name. And so like Christ did the cross, we endure hardship. We endure droughts. We endure trials for the joy that's set before this. Because one of the things that you need to realize is that discipleship is really just farming for joy. Discipleship is farming for joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord allows us to endure hard times. And the more we understand the gospel, the more joy we should have. The more joy compels us to make disciples. And yes, it's incremental growth. It's incrementally taking place where one degree of glory to the next God is bringing change, both corporately and individually, in my life and in your life. But the God who begins work finishes work. And as we labor on, we do so, as we sang today, in weakness and rejoicing, because in our need, his power is displayed. And so this morning, we come to feast at the Lord's table. We are given a spiritual meal that is meant drought and trials and hardship that the Lord of the harvest would produce a fruit that would raise up laborers to tend. So would that be true of us? Would the Lord sustain us and supply our needs as we labor on in weakness and rejoicing? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. In Christ, you've given us all that we need. 
we realize that it's, it's over the span of time that the fullness of the fruit of the harvest of the gospel is being produced. It didn't happen all at once, but little by little, we saw the gospel spread from a little city in the, the Middle East to the Western world and jumping oceans. And now, Lord, there are so many people who know who you are. All of because there are people who are willing to labor on in the Lord, enduring drought so that we could see an abundant harvest. Lord, give us eyes to see. Help us to be patient in your timing. Help us, to God, to have the strength to keep pressing on for your glory, for the joy of all people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table today, know that on the night that he was betrayed, Lord Jesus, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body that's given for you. That same night, the Lord, as he reclined at the table, took the cup. He said to me, this is, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink in remembrance of me. And since that time, Christians throughout all the world have been gathering on a regular basis to share in this Lord's meal to be recharged, to be reinvigorated, to go out on God's mission to accomplish his purpose so that the world would be full of God's glory. So let us, Christian, come to the table and eat and re rejoice and be refreshed in God's providence. Thank you.